Welcome to a very special 100th episode of Back of the Grid. I'm your host, Stu Greenwood, and I'm joined, as always, by Tom King. Hello. And sitting beside me, Chris Evans. Nice and close and sweaty next to you in the hot room. The sweat box. (laughs) Um, How are we both doing, guys? Good. I'd actually forgot it was the 100th episode until you mentioned it right before we started. <laughs> Tom, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. You know what's funny? You know how there's all the controversy over if it was actually F1000 that time? <laughs> yeah. There's technically some slight controversy over if it's back <laughs> of the grid 100. There has been controversy on the internet about this, yes. I've Definitely. This. It, there's a whole Twitter thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was there's technically a preview episode that was about Formula E that we did one time that's episode zero. There are a few non-championship oh. back of the grid episodes that yeah. Uh, yeah. didn't count towards the title. Yeah, they don't count. They don't count towards the title. Always topical, guys. Always topical. Yeah, always topical. Um, speaking of topical, we have got an absolute dossier of an episode <laughs> lined up for you today. Um, we're going to be reviewing the Grand Prix de Pirelli. No, Pirelli Grand Prix du France, um, as the French people say. And um, I'm going to go right into it by speaking about the dossier that Ferrari brought to the party (laughs) um, to try and protest Vettel's innocence a couple of weeks ago. Um, Do do you guys mind if I get into that, first of all? Yeah, do it. Let's let's hear what was in this extensive dossier of new new information. Yeah, Yeah. so the new information in the dossier... um, there was telemetry analysis of Vettel's car, including car attitude channels that showed your role and pitch of the car. Cool. There was video analysis of the camera views on board Vettel and Lewis's car, Lewis Hamilton's cars by our mate Karun Chandler <laughs> on the Skypad. I'm not even kidding. That's what it was. Um, there's a video of Vettel's face. There... <laughs> That's it, just a video of his face. <laughs> there is a post-race video, um, non-specific post-race video. Uh, I'm assuming that must be of him moving the signs around and stuff like that's evidence. <laughs> yeah. Look, see, he changed them around. That's that's evidence. <laughs> um, witness statements by Vettel and GPS racing line data of the two drivers. Probably the most, if there's any like decent evidence in there, I'd say probably the GPS evidence yeah. Is, yeah. is about gonna do it but obviously uh the dossier had no effect <laughs> on um on the fia and they basically told him to bugger off <laughs> so... well like the fia is what like six different things there i think yeah. of the six the fia said four of them aren't new we already saw them it it's meaningless uh, i think the gps one they said some of that is new but it doesn't change anything and karun chandok while he's a very lovely man his opinion is not particularly relevant to decisions that the FIA made. Yeah. Unless he was a driver's steward. That's yeah, the only yeah, reason exactly. it'd ever be relevant is if he was in it's, the room at the time. It's yeah. so weird. That was like the second thing on their list as well. I, 
It's just yeah. weird. It's, it was really weird. It's uh, very clutching at straws, isn't it? I, I love how everyone was calling it a dossier. That's my favourite thing. <laughs> you never you never hear like of a... A dossier is always like a bad thing, isn't it? It's always like someone's corrupt or something like that. Well, like, yeah. the last time there was a dossier in F1, it was around the spy scandal. Yeah. That was a dossier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you, what what would be the word for it if it wasn't if it if it's not a dossier if it's a more, if it's evidence that's more in a more positive sense I guess you cut what a document <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah doc- a, a document would portfolio, do portfolio they're, portfolio they're overselling you aren't they yeah so yeah that was the Ferrari dossier I don't have you got anything else for it? <laughs> it's I think it just comes back down to what we talked about briefly last week which was the fact that it's just to show face of that they've not given up on it completely. Like, because if yeah. they seem to back down, it's like they may feel it's like we're not supporting the driver or we, you know, we're not backing up the claims that we think it was unfair in the first place. And I think they always knew the outcome of this, but they kind of did it to just back up the fact that they weren't happy, I guess, and kind of follow through on what they said they were going to do. Yeah, but I think I everybody involved knew the outcome. <laughs> yeah, when they when the the fact that they said we're gonna appeal it, that's the only what you're saying is the only reason they're doing it is because they said they would, aren't you? Yeah, I mm. think when, when you... everyone was like, well, "Go on then," so they felt that it would be better now. Then <laughs> when you when part of your evidence is a video of Vettel's face, I think yeah. that's probably time to uh, <clears throat> to draw the line. Um, Speaking of which, hopefully this does mean we can like actually draw a line under all of this now, like. It's all Amos talked about for the last month, it feels like, yeah. in the Curding Grand Prix. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. Like, yeah. Let's just put it... And, and let's face it, Vettel's not about to lose this championship by the seven points he lost in Canada. Mm. So it's all going to be fairly inconsequential yeah. in the end. Um, so just just on that really quickly, speaking of how how it's all everyone's been talking about it for the last two weeks... Crofty over the weekend. I don't know if, any, if you, how much of the footage you, how much of the coverage you guys watched, but Crofty would not shut up about <laughs> no. it like every five minutes. Yeah. So in the office, we had a little um, sweepstake on uh, <laughs> how many laps into the race it would take him to mention it. <laughs> Guess how many laps? It Two. Took. No, more than that. <laughs> I, was, I was almost going to say one because of Perez's uh, business. <laughs> was it the first Ricardo Lando? No, Ricardo Grosjean incident. Was it that one? No, it was on lap eight when they replayed <laughs> Perez's. Uh, oh God, uh, <laughs> Perez's I was nearly incident. right. Yeah. <laughs> you were on the right lines, Chris. <laughs> you were close. You were close, but yeah, it, let's, let, I think now is definitely time to just draw a line under it yeah. and all move on with our lives because. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard quite enough of um, Canada Gate, shall we call it. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the race, it's well, the race weekend itself, actual. Um, McLaren, I'm going to start with. McLaren in qualifying, my goodness, what a result for them. Norris qualified fifth and Sainz in sixth, um, yeah. ahead of Sebastian Vettel. And uh, Pierre Gasly in the Red Bull down in ninth, Ricardo in eighth. Um, it's good to see, it's really, really, really good to see positive sort of results for McLaren finally. What, yeah, they were brilliant. And notably, it was like a tenth, no, like a hundredth or two off Verstappen as well. Like they, Norris yeah. was very close to being fourth on the grid on merit, which yeah. is, yeah, it's super impressive. That it's, finally, all the changes McLaren have made seem to slowly be coming good. And they, ha- they have said that they 
put a lot of that down to the work Renault has done as well. But then again, they outqualified the Renault, so yeah, <laughs> a chunk of it's definitely McLaren's doing. Yeah, yeah, it, it puts to rights as well the performance that we saw in Canada when it came to qualifying as well, because they were sort of comfortably into the top ten there, which is not something we would have expected previously. So it kind of shows that there's progress being made within the team from like a number of different levels, but it it's good growth and they were definitely outright like the fourth fastest car this weekend. I don't think anyone really could have come close to them, which yeah, is sure. awesome yeah. to see as a McLaren fan. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We said a few months, I think we've definitely said on here that someone needs to go, needed to go into McLaren and sort of knock heads together and, and straighten things out. And it feels like Mr. Seidel is doing that job. He's actually, yeah. he's the man who sort of seems to be steering the ship in the in the right direction now. Um, yes. Did you, I, so I saw an interview with him for the first time ever over this weekend. Obviously, like I've known his name for a while, but I've never actually seen him be interviewed. He does not sound like you'd expect him to. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but he has a very like quite soft, quite high voice. And looking at him, you'd expect him to be quite sort of, I don't know, just a little more brash and scary. Well, he's supposed to be a really scary bloke. He's, yeah, he's, that's that's the he's thing. He's got this reputation as an absolute sort of ball breaker. Like yeah, he... but in this interview, he just came across very kind of softly spoken and quite calm and quite nice. It took me off guard. In fairness, though, you get the same thing with Gunther Steiner. Like, he comes across all yeah. happy and jerky on the, on the interview front, but... When you see behind the scenes stuff of him, he's just like laying into people and effing and blinding every other word of a sentence. So I guess it's just like a TV persona, isn't it, that that you have? You can tick this one off your bingo card. He is the Malcolm Tucker of (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so from great performance from McLaren to a pretty poor performance from uh, Ferrari, uh, specifically uh, Vettel's car, in qualifying he uh like we said he finished didn't qualify down in seventh um what went wrong there i think he had some battery issues at least for part of qualifying i think i'm right in saying i know he had some parts changed overnight didn't he so it must have been some car failure yeah i think his first run there was an issue with the charging but i don't know if that went into the second run or whether his second run he just wasn't quick enough um but yeah he kind of looked nowhere he was handily outdone by Leclerc all weekend yeah. as well. Mm. Which is also good to see. Um it's nice to see Leclerc getting his getting his eye back in there after some difficult difficult races for him. Yeah, he's had a ropey few weekends, but nice to see him back at the pointy end. So that's enough of qualifying. I think they're the two main talking points of qualifying, so we'll go over to the race and we'll go to the very, very beginning of the race where the start lights went out in I don't know if you guys have heard this in 0.8 seconds. I did hear this. And a lot of people felt they were caught off guard a little bit. Yes. Including Vettel. Vettel yeah. was caught off guard. You, if you watch the replay, Vettel got a pretty poor start. He wasn't ready. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always at random, isn't it, between a certain set of like a certain time. I can't remember the exact yeah. window that it's, they operate in, but there is really no window. The window opens after the fifth light comes on, they can be extinguished at any point so there's no minimum there's no minimum no there's no minimum or maximum they could leave them on for a minute if they wanted to and i'd love to do that one right um yeah there's there's no the the only rule is they can go out at any time 
after the fifth light has come on. Hmm. Um, so, mean, yeah, they were well within the rules. Like, yeah. There's absolutely no reason pay, for them. Pay better attention then. Yeah, exactly. I, I think yeah. it's great. They, they need to, it's been a long time since we've had them go. I don't think we've, I'm not sure if they've ever gone out so quick, actually, but um, it's good to see you know, them mixing them up a little bit. There's only one person now whose job it is to do that. Hmm. Um, it's it's one of the, so there's two race directors now both taking over Charlie's roles after he sadly passed away and um, one of them has permanently has the role of starting the race and you know they, they, they've shared each all these bunch of different roles that Charlie did permanently between them so there's still consistency running through yeah going forward yeah. Um, but yeah he's uh, he's not looks like he's not afraid to go to town with it and have a mess <laughs> around is it so that's good to see next race is going to be like 10 seconds yeah imagine if it was just hang them there can you remember speaking of start times Bottas at last race that was the controversy yeah. of uh, he went yeah. up in the same frame as the light going yeah faster than human reaction times yeah that was that was an epic start to that race he could do with another one next weekend yeah he could so I've done the rapid start lights. The next thing was a fairly relatively clean start. Vettel got away pretty slowly. Um, Sainz had a monster of a start. He got around two cars and he eventually got ahead of Verstappen and found himself in fourth position with the sister McLaren behind. Yeah, it was because yeah. Sainz then nearly had a go at passing Verstappen. That was it. Into the chicane down the straight, didn't he? Yeah. Which would have been great, actually, if he got him at the start. Yeah, um, yeah. So he ended. Up, so he was fifth, then. Sorry, wasn't he? Because it was. I think, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. they were fifth and sixth by fifth sixth, the end of the they, lap. Yeah. Because sorry. get that um, one right. <laughs> it was Leclerc and Verstappen were battling each other, which sort of allowed him to maybe have a little bit of a look at Verstappen at one point, but he never quite managed to find the move. But it's still an absolutely brilliant start from Science. Probably thought... one of the best out of the lot, I think. Yeah, mm. it probably was. I thought that was a really good illustration of the difference in those cars as well. Like, uh, Sainz had stuck to the back of Verstappen getting onto the big straight, and he was all over the back of him and nearly managed to pass him. And then the second they got to the twisty final sector, Verstappen was just gone. Like, he pulled yeah. many tenths by the time I crossed the uh, start-finish line, just to that twisty section, which obviously is Red Bull territory. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so that was that was exciting to see. Uh, it wasn't long before we got a ooh, what should we call uh, a, a bit of off track action, shall we say? <laughs> um, when Perez, um, now this is this is my first sort of big talking point, I think, of this race, um, I, for, based on sort of what we've we've seen the last, it's particularly the last race. Obviously, this is always going to be a contentious subject, but. <laughs> Perez went off the track. He followed the rules. He went around the uh, the bollard like he was supposed to, and he rejoined the track in a little bit further down. It's all on the first lap of the race, so the cars are still very much bunched together. Um, I think he made up one. I think he gained one place in the process of doing it, and uh, possibly two. I think maybe two. And he then he gets slapped with a penalty. For uh, mm. was it a five second penalty for rejoining yeah. the track in an unsafe manner? Um, well, it was for gaining advantage from yeah. leaving the track. Oh, was that what the yeah. official yeah. was for gaining the advantage? Oh, yeah. I thought it was okay. That's okay. Um, that's kind of made my argument fall apart a little bit. But <laughs> um, I was gonna say I find it found it difficult to see. Well, no, actually, I st- I, I I I stand by my argument. I find it difficult to see how. 
he broke the rules that are laid out for the drivers. He he went off the track, he drove around the bollard, which is purposely placed there to stop them having to give them a penalty because it's supposed to slow the car down sufficiently that they don't gain an advantage. Mm. And he's rejoined the track and he's still got a penalty. He's done everything that he's been asked of him and he's still got a penalty. So for me, I think it's unfair. I don't think it's right. I don't know I what think you guys think. The, the, the issue with it that I think I see is the fact that sort of down that far side, there's like a little sort of escape road kind of thing. And I think possibly the reason that it got looked at for a penalty is the fact that it took him so long to sort of peel off to the left and decide to go that way around the bollard. So I can I can sort mm. of see why keeping his foot in and doing it the way that he did meant that he probably gained more an advantage as than he would have if he'd ducked to the proper escape road. But that should have also been laid out as part of the Ballard rules, that yeah, you exactly. must go straight to that lane and stay in it until you've passed the Ballard. And if that wasn't laid out in the driver's briefing, then I believe it's a harsh penalty. If he was, however, told that in the driver's briefing before the race and then didn't do it, then the penalty's fair because he, he knew he should have been doing that. So that's the missing bit of info for me, I think. I'm, I'm pretty sure from what I've read, they were told that in the driver's briefing. But mm. I, I don't know, I, I see it as even simpler than that. Like, yes, he went around the bollard and came back onto the track, but no matter what route he took, he still left the track and gained a lasting advantage. And just because yeah. you, you can't, like, if you're driving on the road, you can't break one law to avoid breaking another <laughs> law. Like, if you, you, you've... It's okay. clear, clearly the route that the little bollard route that they designed to avoid people doing that actually didn't slow them down enough to stop them taking an advantage. That doesn't mean, like in that case, I think Martin Brundle said, "What's to stop them if he doesn't get a penalty? What's to stop everyone just cutting that corner every single lap, saying, yeah. oh, I went around the bollard, so it's fine, it's illegal." That is fair. I, that's point, a good point. That is a very. That's a very good point. I think the solution to it is just put another bollard in further down. So yeah, yeah. Drive around that. That that takes away that, and that guarantees that they're going to have to slow down to make the other bollard. The thing is that in a lot of those scenarios, they have those um, sort of polystyrene chicanes, don't they? Which yeah. take the speed out of the the shortcut, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Like they take the speed out of cutting across that area and. But it's a big area there, so it's probably difficult to put something like that in. But nah, it makes it easier, doesn't it? Do, it's more space. Do you know what though? This comes down to the fact that this is what happens when you have a race that's on a test track with like completely free runoff. <laughs> yeah, as, that, as yeah. the rest yeah. of the race review will probably come to show with the yeah, things that we want to talk we'll, about. Yeah, we'll definitely come to that. <laughs> so, um, on on that, actually, they in the Formula E race in uh, Bern in Switzerland this weekend, they did an interesting thing where. At the first chicane, they had a kind of escape route if you're going to miss the chicane, which actually was a much shorter route. So to stop drivers gaining advantage there, they just said, if you take that escape road, you have to come to a complete stop and then start up again before you can rejoin the track, which obviously instantly negates any advantage they might yeah. gain from it, which yeah. I thought was an interesting approach to it. I mean, Formula E has to be a bit more renegade with these things because obviously it's all street tracks, so they kind of have to figure these things out on a track by track basis mm. because it's in the city centre and you can't just build a an escape route kind of thing. Yeah. But that's the thing, um, isn't it? If it's if it's something that's set in place during the pre race drivers briefing and everybody yeah. knows it and everybody's there to adhere by it, then 
it's not so much of a problem if it is a race-by-race race scenario because, you know, Paul Ricard has got its unique elements with the way that the track's designed because of what it was originally built for. So, it you know, to have a couple of things put in place that they say before the race, right, we're making these slight changes, this is what applies here and here because of the following reasons, as long as everybody's aware with that and everybody agrees to it, it shouldn't be a big issue, should it really? No, I'd, I'd be very surprised if they didn't discuss all that ahead of yeah. the race. Do you know what my issue with a stop-go figure is on the track? It's kind of dangerous in Formula mm. 1 to, to have cars just stopping. It is, yeah. Like that. I think with Formula E, they're going a bit slower because, like we say, they are all street circuits. And the, yeah, totally. Yes, they're very powerful electric cars. They're like 300-odd equivalent horsepower. Um, and they're very, very fast off the mark, a couple of seconds to 60, two miles an hour. But um, in a Formula 1 car, to just stop the way they do, the, the way they can, and then to pull away, if someone else has to take that escape road, exactly, and yeah. you've got a stopped car yeah. in, in, somewhere, anywhere near you, you know, these cars are very, very difficult to control at low speeds anyway. So when you're at a complete spot, obviously you're not really in any control of the car because you, you can't maneuver it at that point i think that's where the polystyrene chicane things come in though when we have them in f1 through the escape roads like that means you don't have to slow to a complete stop but it does reduce the speed enough that it's negating any advantage that would come from going through that route do you think maybe they ran out of polystyrene this weekend (laughs) maybe (laughs) Maybe. the way they were getting just torn to shreds by yeah, cars yeah. i think yeah. if you went pop in the f2 races as well yeah yeah you're not kidding. yeah I, um, I agree with sort of chris's general principle though that it's yeah you know just just because he's followed that particular rule it doesn't mean that he's automatically not going to get a penalty because like like you say he gained possibly at least one place if not more so and he he's knew. still leaving the track and gaining an advantage regardless of he's gone around the ball yeah, and I, I think it's more that going around the bollard is a better chance of not receiving a penalty because you've at least attempted to negate the advantage you've had, but it's not necessarily a guarantee that you won't get a penalty. Well, I'd, if if they're going to put the bollard there, you might as well have just skipped the bollard altogether and just gone for it. And maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe he would have got a harsher penalty. But yeah. if, if, to me, it almost feels like he's been penalised twice by by doing that. What If they're going to set a rule like that, they should make it so that it definitely gives enough of a disadvantage that they don't have to penalise. What is the point in putting a bollard out there to to slow them down if they're then going to give them a penalty anyway? Yeah, I, I feel like this is one of those things where when we come back here next year, these escape routes and bollards will have been moved to yeah. make them more of a penalty, much like the pit lane entrance got moved this year or like the pit exit in Korea back in the day got moved because one year they had it there and realised it didn't work, so they moved it again. And I think next year we'll come here and it'll be completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, though, Perez, there's no way he didn't know he had gained a place or two by doing that. And the stewards did say if he had backed off and let those couple of cars pass and carried on, they'd probably have just ignored it and let it fly. Mm. Uh, well, I guess it's it's just I think for me because it's such early doors and it's, it's sort of there's a lot going on in those early stages of a race. Fair play to the stewards for spotting it and and yeah. taking action, but I think the the rules should be better in the first place to avoid even having to give a penalty. That's well, we actually have a question along these lines a little bit later on. Okay, so yeah, we do. That will that will be an interesting discussion. 
Okay. Um, so let's move on to, uh, it, obviously it's quite a processional race. So I'm jumping forward um, <clears throat> quite a bit here. Um, I'm going straight to Lando's hydraulics. Um, Lando had wow, a, Lando he's a jump. Had... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hell of a jump. I mean, I mean we're going to jump backwards and forwards a little bit, actually, because I'm going back to Kubica in a minute. But, yes, um... I understand that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I, I thought we'd do talking points because it was such a boring race. <laughs> um, yeah, so Lando. Lando Norris had a hydraulic failure. Um, he The radio message was that he... The steering would start to get heavy and then the diff was going to make the car very difficult to drive. And um, yeah, he reported back that the steering was already heavy. So <laughs> it sounds like he had an absolute killer car to uh, to drive to the end of the race. Um, it's really unfortunate, mainly because my fantasy team had Lando <laughs> as the turbo driver. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I lost a whole bunch of points as a result. But um, obviously, more upset will be Lando himself for having shone so brightly through the entire race weekend, only to be uh, cut off at the last hurdle, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he did an amazing job just to bring that thing home. Um, he Well, he lost three places on track, and after penalties, which we'll get to, it became two places. But just to keep that thing on the track and bring it home, I think, was impressive enough. I'm nodding my head, which is not um, <laughs> yeah, podcast. I'm not in the right medium for that. It, um, it comes back on. to what we talked about a little bit last week in that when there is still that reward of finishing on the line, like, can you imagine if that car was already in 15th? Do you not think that there's a chance they might have brought it in with a hydraulic oh, failure and retired it? But while oh, there yeah. are points on the line they've carried that race on to try and get Lando the best result possible because he's put a lot of effort into the entire race weekend and there's points still on the line for him. And I think that shows the difference of those points being available, like what we were talking about last week. It's the fact that that car finished the race because if it wasn't in the points at the time that that all started going wrong, I wouldn't have been surprised if we'd have seen it retired like what uh, Grosjean was later on in the race. Yeah, well, it's not just. I mean, you have to bring it in if you're further down, if you're out of the points, because you're not going to gain any any positions when your car's dying like that. And two, why risk all the components for for nothing? Exactly. Yeah, that's the that, you know that's the other side of it. Yeah. Um, that's what's wrong but, though. Is what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I am with you. I am with you. Um, yeah, I, I was I was really really good for him. I yeah, really yeah. wanted to see him do well. McLaren deserved a better result, and they got. He was still a very impressive weekend for them, but they did deserve. A better result, and like they put quite a brave face on it afterwards, and they were saying, you know, yes, it's a shame, but it was still an amazing drive and a great result. But you know, the second they go back to the factory, it's like this is absolutely unacceptable. That can't happen. We need to make sure this never happens again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my next bit, I'm going back in time, back <laughs> to the past. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to George Russell and Kubitzer's battle. Um, early doors. Russell had a bit of a, um, a few issues in qualifying, which meant he would start on the, the in nineteenth place, just ahead of Kvyat. Yeah, they both had penalties, didn't they? Yeah, and um, it meant that for the first time this season, he was starting behind his teammate. So it meant that we were going to get that tantalising battle between <laughs> the two that we've been hoping for for a few races. Um, and I think it's fair to say that. Russell, I think now I'm convinced that Russell is probably quicker than 
Kubica myself. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but... Yeah, I mean, he did finish behind him in the race, but only because he had to make a second stop. I think slightly more damning this weekend was the fact that Latifi did FP1 in Canada uh, in Kubica's car and finished behind Russell. He did FP1 this weekend in Russell's car and actually finished ahead of Kubica by, albeit by like a couple of hundredths, but even so, yeah. it's not... It's not a great look for a driver that's already got a bit of pressure on their shoulders, is it? That was the thing that stood out for me after watching FP1 was Latifi's times compared to Kibitz as I was keeping a sort of yeah. close eye on that as to what was going on there. So th- that's quite telling for me. Um, I'd be interested to see if there is a change at some point and if so, what it is. But I think... And- I don't think they're going to get a huge amount of benefit from a driver change while the car's in the position it is anyway, because I don't know if I don't know if anyone could bring much more to it. I, I don't know. I, well, and I, I'm I don't I think you're right. I don't think anyone I don't think there is much to gain from putting a faster driver in it because they've already got a fast driver in George Russell. Yeah, and the, what they've got is a rookie who's who's absolutely lightning quick, really really talented, and they've got a very experienced older driver who can give really, really strong feedback and tell them what is, you know, what's wrong with a formula one car, why it's behaving a certain way, what that from their understanding. So Kubitzer, I think is really valuable to this team in this moment because they're trying to dig their way out of a hole and he's yeah. probably the best man available to them for the job in terms of getting out of that hole. And they've still got a yardstick for how fast the car can be in Russell so I think the driver is right for now I don't think it I don't think it will change they're not that kind of team either they're not the sort of team who just no. blow off one of the drivers and we've said before like it looks bad because you can only compare them against each other but the gap in qualifying was half a second between them but then you look at Red Bull and the gap was I think six tenths and look at Ferrari and the gap was like seven or eight tenths between the Claire and Bell so it, it still looks bad because he's always last because he's only racing his teammates. But actually, the gap has the gap's been coming down. Actually, as the season went on, like Australia in particular, I think he was a quite a way off the pace. But he has actually been reeling Russell in very gradually as the season's gone on. So it's not like he's disastrously slow. But when you have the F two driver come in and beat you in practice, it doesn't look good for you. Yeah. Mm. Um. Good. There was some good battling between the two. Uh, yes, <laughs> Russell took out one of the uh, yet more polystyrene, <laughs> um, which actually, like they they made the polystyrene blocks up to look like pieces of concrete. Did you notice that? It's kind of scary when you see someone flying towards. Yeah, them. yeah. I was mm. like, how did his whole front left side not come off for that? Oh, it was polystyrene. <laughs> so, in conclusion, you think Kubica is is slower than Russell, but not as slower than Russell as we think. Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. I just feel like it's difficult when you can only compare against one other person and that's your teammates. Like, if they had a car as fast as the midfield, I don't think there would be six or seven cars finishing in between the two of them. I think they'd actually be quite close together right. on the road. I'm with you, okay, okay. That's fair. okay. I mean, you, your evidence is compelling, <laughs> especially when you when you compare the two when you compare the other teams and the gaps between some of their drivers. Then, 
like you say, yeah, you're right. It's, it's just unfortunate that they're at the back and he keeps finishing at the yeah. back. It's, it just shows you how bad a look it is to, to be finishing at the back. It, does, yeah. it almost puts more pressure. If you're in a if you're in a slow team, if you're in the slowest car, the onus is on you so much more to be faster mm. than your teammate because that is if that is the only person that you're racing, then you do need to beat them yeah. in order to look good. Um, yes, yeah, so that's that one. Russell uh, did actually make a move on him in the end, didn't he? We saw the one where he hit the polystyrene and didn't make. Yeah, he it got him. Ball. He did get him, but we didn't see it on TV. I don't think. No, he didn't show it on TV, but he did get. He was quicker. Like yeah. I was watching the timing screen. I had the data up, and I was watching the timing screen, and you could see that that Russell was so much quicker. He was just reeling him in, but um, yeah, it's the result didn't show. The, probably the the person who had the better drive in the end. Yeah, I think he pitted again for damage to the front wing from that polystyrene hit. So, yeah, that's fair enough. So, uh, Tom, have you anything more to add? About, um... <laughs> I think we have covered. Have we covered that Williams <laughs> situation? <laughs> okay, uh, enough about the back of the grid, which is our namesake. Let's talk about the middle of the grid. Um, <laughs> Um, Ricardo, Ricardo, more penalties. Ricardo sort of had a as Norris was having his troubles. Ricardo sort of had a bit of a run on, it, run on him, and um, there was a bit of a gaggle together right on the on the, at the end of the race, and uh, into the braking zone for the chicane down the straight. Uh, it looked like looked to me like Ricardo sort of got a little bit too much of a slipstream. And outbraked himself into the braking zone. He looked like he was going faster than I'd seen many other cars go through there. It was he? it was weird. Like it, it kind of looked like he was trying one of his trademark ridiculously late braking moves. Yeah. But I don't think he was necessary. Like surely the team had told him the guy ahead of you is nursing it brown because his hydraulics have gone. Like I don't think the way he tried to pass him was completely necessary. But as a result, yeah, he just kind of slithered wide on the exit yeah so he mm. went right wide of the exit there um got got himself a five second penalty for that by ga- leaving the track and gaining a lasting advantage but meanwhile he comes back onto the track and suddenly every these four cars <laughs> sort of norris hulkenberg raikkonen and um ricardo himself are all sort of just bunched together on track down a really long straight and it just became like a drag race down to the down to the horseshoe um and it was really exciting to watch, I thought. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's I've, awesome. I've watched it a few times today just because I had to work on a piece for well, it. Well, it was exciting to watch the replay of it because the TV director chose that point to cut away and watch yeah. uh, Leclerc not passing Bottas. Yeah, that was exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was, that was good to see. And so just going back to the incident, for the for the second penalty he got, almost immediately after the first penalty he got, <laughs> he... Uh, in the process of coming back onto the track, he got overtaken by Raikkonen, but then he got himself a better exit down onto the straight, leading down to the horseshoe, and uh, got pushed wide by Raikkonen as he went to overtake him. Well, go on. I'll, no, I'll let, I'll let you. I'll let you finish, uh, and then we'll discuss the okay, penalties. Okay, he, he went. He went around <laughs> Raikkonen down the straight, having got a better exit, and. Um, and then, yeah, they all just sort of, you know, there's a little bit of uh, argy-bargy between, well, actually, it was all neat and tidy between the three of them, but it was it was really, it felt like really good, clean racing mm. to a point. But, um, yeah, he got, so that's where he got his second penalty because he left the track on his way around um, Kimi Raikkonen. Um, so my first, I've, I've got two questions, both about whether or not he deserves the penalties. Um, I'm going to ask, let's do the first one first, that first penalty for the pass on 
the outbreak in himself and the pass on uh, Norris. Does he, did he deserve a penalty there, first of all? Mm, by the again, but it's it's echoing to what we said after Canada. But by the letter of the law, yes, he he did make. If you watch the onboard, he made every effort not to because I think the, the penalty base was because the way he came back on track, Norris had to take avoiding action, and like uh, Ricardo was like desperately trying to keep the car in a straight line. He was on the brakes. He actually went all the way down to first gear to try and slow the car down and get it back under control. So he was making every effort not to rejoin the track in a way that made Norris have to avoid him, but he did. So by the letter of the law, yes, it's a penalty. I would argue it's maybe a touch and go, that one, I think. I, I, th- I think it all stems to he was trying an audacious move that he didn't really need to make. I think this is what happens when everybody goes, we want consistency. If you leave the track and <laughs> yeah. like yes. nearly run into yeah. someone, yeah. it should be a penalty. So therefore, every time it happens now, that it's going to be a penalty. Because it's true. And then everyone can complain about the fact that there's tons of penalties and we'll be yeah. back to where we were before where the stewards are more lenient and they will only act if they feel they really need to, then everybody will complain that that should have been a penalty compared to this one. And it, it's a vicious circle. And this yes. is yeah. that end of it. Um, this is exactly what I wanted to get onto because I think there's a wider issue here. And that is that I feel like we're entering a phase of stewarding where suddenly the stewards' decisions are going to be really, really strict because yep. they've been backed into a corner yeah. yep. by... By everything, I don't know if you guys discussed. It sounds like you discussed this last week. I don't know. Did you? No, no, no. But I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. It's like that is exactly what it is. Where the fact that mm. if you are going to scream, this shouldn't be a penalty, or at least it should be consistent, and there's such uproar about it, they are then going to be tighter and more strict, and it, everything will be consistently a penalty. But yeah. then we'll end it's up in a situation like we were. It was about four years ago, wasn't it, where everyone was complaining, oh, there's too many penalties for this, that, and the other, and it's ruining the racing. So the whole thing was the stewards will try and be more lenient and they will only feel they will only apply a penalties if they really feel that they need to. And then everybody starts complaining about inconsistency when that happens. So like mm. I say, I don't think the stewards can really win. Um, I, I By the letter of the law, I, I agree, same as Chris does, the fact that he left the track he could have maybe re-entered the track in a slightly different way that would have compromised Nando less. Um, Nando, I've changed his name. (laughs) Would have slightly compromised Lando less um, because Lando probably would have lost a couple of the other places anyway, but it did kind of mean that he immediately lost places to Raikkonen and Hulkenberg as well, whereas he might have had a little bit of a chance at fighting them and, you know, having a go at holding them off, whereas he just lost them there and then because of the move. So I think that's probably why that one's a little bit more just as a penalty. Yeah. Um, so just on the... I, I don't know whether to... I didn't know whether to save this until I, further on this debate, but it feels like a good time to say it. So the consistency, I, I don't know if... I, I can't remember where I mentioned this before or not in a couple of episodes ago, but the consistency argument to me is nonsense. Yeah. Like, it's impossible to consistently apply... Rule. I've, I have said. It. I know. I have said it on this. All, it's I impossible to. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't apply consistency at different racetracks, different, different countries, different conditions. Yeah. It, there's so many 
moving parts to these things that it's just impossible to apply consistency. Until F1 becomes a spec series that only races at Silverstone and only on sunny days, <laughs> you <laughs> cannot have all 100% consistent decisions. It's yeah. just not the way it works. That's a series that can never, ever, ever happen. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> sunny days at Silverstone are not a thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. I picked a bad combination there. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw actually just after that happened on our Twitter feed, it was two people we follow. I imagine they're probably listening. There were two tweets next to each other. One of them, I'm paraphrasing, but one of them said, if Ricardo gets a penalty for that, it's an absolute joke. F1 is just a mess. The tweet right next to it said, if Ricardo doesn't get a penalty for that, there's no consistency. F1's an absolute joke. And that just, I think, sums up the way F1 is seen right now. Yeah. Like, you can you're never going to please 100 percent of people 100 percent of the time with things like this no it's i mean it's impossible but the, i think if they were to if there was one thing they could do to help try and alleviate this would be to at least have the same stewards to at every race yeah it would help for sure or at least a smaller pool of stewards I mean, you need well, you need a good amount though because there's so much to look at there's 20 cars on the grid yeah so. but i mean like uh, you, you can't necessarily have exactly the same stewards at every single race just for logistical reasons, but at the very least have a small number that rotated and out rather than a massive number. Well, like most races is a different team of stewards. I, think. I don't agree. I, I think, I think you have the same race directors at every, every race, yeah, the, maybe. Same, the same teams show up at every race, the same true. We have the same crew who, show, who go to every race yeah. every week. Yeah. So, you know, what, what's the difference? Yeah, I guess you're right. Actually. So, so to me, I think I think yeah, yeah no, I, think, probably I, right. think, I think you could have a dedicated team of Formula One race stewards who go to every event, and I don't think there'd be that. I guess the argument that they uh, people who are the people who are qualified to be the steward are probably quite busy people. Yeah, I'd say in your in defense to your yeah, your that's argument. kind of what I was going for. Um, and of course, the other problem is if you have exactly the same stewards every week. As soon as a decision goes for or against one team, you'll have people saying, oh, well, these stewards are horribly biased towards this team. Like, you're never going to be, again, you're never going to be able to please everyone. But, yeah. But I mean, that just comes with the territory. I it does, yeah. Is, you have to decide how much you care about things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the next, the, we've not even got to the end of <laughs> the this second bit. penalty. The, the second penalty for Ricardo. So Ricardo goes, he gets a good, uh, gets a good exit. And he gets the run on Raikkonen and uh, goes past him by leaving the track. I think Raikkonen pushed Ricardo a little bit wide when he didn't really need to. He gave him plenty of room on the other side, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I well, yeah. I okay. think Ricardo and I think sorry, Raikkonen made it very clear. I am having the inside line. Went all the way up to the line and no further. And Ricardo chose to drive off the track to go at the inside of him because he it's... knew he was never going to pass him around the outside. Mm. He had a share to pass him up mm. the inside. I think this is the like a slightly weird one because, in a way, by leaving the track there in that way, you don't get as much of an advantage as you would by cutting a corner or something like that. But the advantage that it ultimately gives him is the inside line to the next corner. And that's why he was so keen to go that way. 
And I think that's maybe the reason it's come back as a penalty. But I also agree with what I think Damon Hill and Paul DeResta are both saying post-race, which is if there was a grass lining down the inside of that straight like anywhere else on the calendar, he wouldn't yeah. have done it. Yep. So that's very cool. why Absolutely. put the blue paint there with next to the white line? Why not put a piece of grass there or, or AstroTurf? And he's not going to go yeah. that way, is he? So. Because if there's grass there, you might break your nice new car that you're testing there. <laughs> yeah, I think for there's a yeah again there's another wider issue here, and that is my my second wider issue of the day <laughs> is is you know is is Paul Ricard the right circuit for Formula One to be racing at? Personally, I'm not in this configuration that they've got it. I'm not sure it is. But there's I a thousand re- more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really think they need to try it without the chicane down the middle of the straight. I do as well. Because, yes, that chicane is an overtaking point, but as soon as you take that away... It's like Anthony Davidson has said in the past, when they used to test um, Le Mans cars there, they'd use the full-length straight, and because it's so long, they would run the track in the super low-down force Le Mans yeah. configuration. And because you've got such low-down force, it makes the rest of the track that much more of a challenge. And I really think they should try that with F1 maybe next year. Yeah, we, we said this last year. We did. We did, we we did, did, did talk yeah. about it for that exact reason. Yeah. But th- that being said, I do just think it's not a very good track for racing on. Yeah. If you want, may I? Again, it's it's another. It's going back to the thing we were saying about Perez earlier. It's just if if you want drivers to 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 drive in a certain part of the track, then make the parts that you don't want them to drive on. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's exactly that. And that would solve it. You wouldn't have to give out penalties then. You wouldn't have to upset all the fans by, you know, by by making man-made decisions that are not, that, that, that can, can sometimes see arbitrary to people on the outside. Hmm. You know, like make the conditions right. Make the conditions such that penalties apply themselves automatically without human intervention. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we're quite far in. And, <laughs> uh, I'd, uh, I'm going to skip Haas Shocker. Because, um, all right, we'll do it really, really quick because I've said it now. Haas Shocker, they were nowhere all They were terrible. Gunter Steiner yeah. said it was their worst ever race. I agree with it him. It possibly was, factually. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they have a lot of work to do with o- that team. Other than wheels falling off cars due to pit stop errors, this is probably yeah. the worst performance that they've had. Yeah. Um, so their sponsor, nothing to gloat about for them this weekend. Yeah, I've been very quiet. Um, so on to the end of the race. Uh, Hamilton obviously won it by a mile. Um, Bottas second just <laughs> with Leclerc um, close behind him and Vettel with the fastest lap just because Hamilton spun his wheels out of the final corner. Vettel got the fastest lap by two hundredths of a second, I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Um and yeah, yeah. Cause I think they were initially reporting at the end of the race that Lewis had got it, weren't they? Yeah, they were. A bit they prematurely. Were. Yeah, yeah. And then they did a big cheer when Vettel got it at the end. <laughs> yeah. So, lads, driver of the day. Who are we going to have? Lando was the official driver of the day. Lando um, got my vote at the time, just yeah, for battling too. home with that car. Yeah, I, I think. Go I think even without the battling home at the end as well, he might have been with the shout for it, just because it was a. I thought it was still a really good drive from him, but. The the yeah, bringing it home in a state where he shouldn't really make it home just kind of was icing on the cake, really. Yeah, I'm I'm with you both there. I mean, you've got to, you've got to give an honourable mention to Lewis for just dominating all yeah. weekend. Yeah, yeah, very true. But um, yeah, Lando is uh, is your boy this week. I think the thing that helps with Lando is 
he's probably the most likable guy on the grid because mm. he's just so he's got that like he's in a way he's a little bit like the Danny Rick effect like Danny Rick's always sort of smiling laughing having a joke and Lando's very similar plus Lando's yeah. like one of us one of us because he's like yeah, that guy really that like... makes memes of himself and posts them on Reddit and all that kind of stuff so like He's he's that next step. He's like the millennial Danny Ricardo, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like the it's, it's the new generation, isn't it? Yeah. He's, he, and he, you know, he's really good. At, he's really good on camera. He's really good to to for for, for the people for, for guys to chat to. He, yeah, he's 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 great. He's he's really good fun. There was um there was a Reddit thread today about like the the problems he had at the end of the race, and someone said, "I can't wait to hear him talking about these next time he does a Twitch stream." And yeah. you know that's true. Like next time he's home, he'll be on Twitch playing iRacing or something, <laughs> chatting to people about his last F1 race, which is just awesome. Like the next time he's at home, smashing up his PlayStation controls because Carlos is beating <laughs> at FIFA. More like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, either of you have seen that clip. I did. Yeah, yeah I've seen, we've, we've seen that one. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll move it on to um, move of the day. We've got a few to choose from. Science to start, I think, is a is a good one. Yeah, yeah, two places off the line, really good. Um, we've got a Kvyat and Albon battle. Yeah, that was mighty. Yeah, that was pretty tasty. We had Kvyat going around the outside at the horseshoe um, and getting hung out to drive yeah. by Albon as well. But his teammate was pretty badass. Um, Giovinazzi on Magnussen for 16th, but still, I suppose the, the third slowest car on the grid against the, the second slowest car on the grid. Yeah, the move looks good, but Magnussen was nowhere that race, unfortunately. Yeah, and then my other one is the Ricardo action at the end as well. I thought just a collective kind of, you know, it was it was really hard racing, and was, they all yeah. kept it really really neat and tidy. Um, I suppose you can't give move of the day to someone who got a penalty for the move. So. <laughs> when the move was undone, <laughs> so, with the yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of takes out the equation, but. I don't know who. What are we voting for? My vote is Science of Star. I think Science gave us some really good action. At the it was a definite toss-up between Science of Star and then that Kvyat album battle, just for the entertainment of it. Um, That's the two I'm torn with as well. But I think that I, I don't know. I think it might be the start from Science, just because we mentioned it so eagerly at the top of the show. Yeah, that that works for me. Okay, um, Science it is. Science it is. Um, the next bit is: Have we got? A, can we play a sting? Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? So we've got um, the first one I've got down is Perez's penalty, which I, you guys probably don't agree with. Having spoke about it mm, earlier, really. so it's I can probably see not why it's there, but not for me. Um, my next one is the gorilla arms raising and the sounds that the gorilla made at the end of the race. Did you see this? I didn't see this. So uh, on the podium, during the podium celebrations, uh, over the loudspeakers, a big gorilla sort of chest beaty <laughs> noise. I, I mean, I'm not going to make the noise myself. No. I, I do, I I do, do a great really gorilla impression, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, <laughs> I'm really tempted to, but I'm not going to. Um, yeah, it started making this sort of gorilla howling noise and the arms sort of robotically kind of really shunkily sort of oh, raised up. I'm demonstrating to Chris. I've got two arms in the air. Um, Do we know why they have the gorilla? Like I know. I don't know. I know the trophies are gorillas because there is a big model of a gorilla at the track, but do we know why it's there in the first place? No. And there's anyway. a bear as well. It's so weird. Yeah. There's, they've got this theme of like, non-native French animals. Yeah, like... <laughs> we giraffe there next year. Yeah, it is It is weird. I think 
the, you know, the, the, the weird animal thing, France, it's run its course, guys. <laughs> let's, let's just have a tro- just do a trophy. That's at a- the start of the race as well, they did the other thing at the, at the very beginning of the race where these dancers came along. The trophy's that was like, weird. At the start, the trophy's like between the drivers, yeah. between, everyone's like laid out in front of it. These dancers come like hopping and spinning down the corridor, human corridor, <laughs> towards the trophy. And... <laughs> Pick it up, run off with it, climb up some scaffolding, <laughs> give it to a man on a jetpack, <laughs> and this guy is just like riding round with with the trophy in his hands, my on a jetpack. My favorite thing about that was though the way they shot it. It looked like the guy on the jetpack had just picked up the trophy and then just flown away with it. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't like going up and down or anything. He just flew off. He's like, well, he's taking that. That's his <laughs> name. I'd be if, I'd be lying if inside of me there wasn't a voice going, "I hope he just flies <laughs> off with it." The greatest <laughs> heist ever known in F one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So imagine the planning that goes right. like, We need to replace the Jabberwockies with another dance troupe, <laughs> and we need to get them to give this. This decoy <laughs> jetpack man. <laughs> Don't let him have the real one. <laughs> Get rid of the real Don't trust him with the real one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was pretty WTF. And um, my one is just the French GP at Paul Ricard. That's what's the point. It's not really a race. It's just the track in general. <laughs> just, and Chris, yeah. you've got a non-F1 special. I wanna, yeah, I want to throw in a rare non-F1 nomination for this. Um, anyone who watches F2 will recognise uh, the name Mahavir Raghunathan, who has been abysmal this season. Um, this race, though, was a, a new low for him, where in three virtual safety car periods... He infringed the virtual safety car rules three times, picking up three penalty points for each, bringing his total for the season to 12, meaning he now misses the next race, which is one of the most abysmal performances in racing I've heard of in a very, very long time. I don't think anyone's ever picked up that many points in one race before, surely. That's got to be a record. Yeah, Yeah. and to get so many in one season as well. Yeah, Yeah. so quickly. It's only, what, what, the fourth round, fifth round of F2? Hmm. I honestly... Don't think we're going to see him come back from this. <laughs> like, there's, I think Mark Love is going to likely be replacing him for the next race. And I mean, you'd just leave Mark Love in the car, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah Mark Love's got the goods. Um, while we're on the subject of uh, penalty records, um, <laughs> do you want to know who holds the record for fastest ever penalty achieved in their Formula One I career? I actually know this. Do, do you know it, Tom? Mm, I'd have a couple of guesses, but I don't know for sure. The fastest ever in a Formula One career is actually Sebastian Vettel. He did it in six seconds <laughs> by breaking. He immediately went out in the car from the garage and sped in the pit lane within six <laughs> seconds of his first drive at a Formula One event. There you go, then. <laughs> there you go. Yet another record, Helmut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, and that, I'll tell you, that will never be beaten. And that one. it'll probably be youngest ever penalty, unless probably, Max yeah. got one maybe while he was younger. Maybe, it could be. Yeah. That'd be an interesting yeah. one to check at some point. Yeah, someone look that one up. Yeah. Um, um, as for the award, though. Yeah, that's one for the audience to leave in the comments, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be just the general guerrilla shenanigans, right? The guerrilla madness. Did you just not give it to guerrilla madness, madness last year? As well. Probably. Probably, <laughs> but it still deserves it. Like, if someone had explained it all to me in the last year, I maybe wouldn't nominate it this year, but it still doesn't make any sense. If anything, there was more Guerrilla Madness this year. Yeah, mm. and less explanation of Gorillas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. More more of it with less explanation. So yeah, <laughs> it can have my vote, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. 
Yeah. Cool. cool. Yeah. Gorilla madness it is. <laughs> um, uh, right. So that's all the uh, awards handed out for this race. And we're going to look ahead to Austria really quickly. Sneaking up on us. Sneaking up because obviously mm. we've got a back to back. We're going straight across to uh, to Austria for the next race. Um, so storylines for the next race. And my first storyline is do the stewards need to chill out a bit? <laughs> Honestly, if you look at the layout of that track and where there's grass and gravel, I don't think the stewards are going to have much to do because, as we said earlier, it's a very self-policing track, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think the only point that they ever really have to do anything is the exit of the final turn because they don't want people yeah. running wide and sort of keeping the foot in to, to gain an advantage down that start-finish straight. And I think that's been like a point of note for the last few years where they've said... Especially in qualifying. It, yeah, it, they've said if you're all four wheels over that white line, your lap time's deleted and it'll be penalties yeah. and stuff like that. So Just, technically I think for, that should apply anywhere on the circuit, yeah, the, yeah. the whole white line thing, but let's not get started on that. But throw some just throw some sleeping policemen down. Like they did a couple can you remember a couple of years yeah. ago when they had those that, that they called them baguette curbs, I think. Not quite as yeah. uh, is what is a cabat a, ba- a kebab? What is a baguette <laughs> bigger than I suppose a baguette is bigger than a sausage curb, right? Yeah, I'd imagine so. Because in it's real life, be. a baguette is bigger than a sausage. You put a sausage yeah. inside a baguette. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if proportional <laughs> relevance works when we name curbs, though. <laughs> 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 true, true, true. <laughs> God, this episode, I've, I've lost control. Um, <laughs> yeah, so throw a few sausage curbs down there. That solves that problem. <laughs> the next storyline is, uh, can Gasly do anything? Uh, Red Bull's home race. He needs to do something, I think. Yeah, I'd hope he could if do they... something. Yeah, he's it's keep waiting for him to come good, and he's not. Um... What I was interested to hear is after the race, during one of his interviews, Max was bit like they were talking about obviously going straight into Austria, and Max was talking about the fact that he didn't expect them to do that well there because he felt that they had a car that was on par with the Ferrari, but nowhere near good enough to compete with the Mercedes, which yeah. I, which is true. But he was like basically saying, we got lucky last year and it's, you know, people shouldn't expect anything other than a third at best is kind of what he was already yeah. trying to play it down to. And I guess in a way they did get a bit lucky last year because both Mercs retired, didn't they? So yeah, mm. it kind of fell into their hands a little but. It'd be interesting to see where they are in relation to the rest anyway. Yeah. It's a great track. It's one of my favourite tracks of the season. Yeah, considering how it's like what, nine turns? Like it's yeah. so unlike all other F one tracks, but it's it's really cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just it's super fast, loads of laps. Super hilly. Super hilly, loads of undulations. It's a it's a yeah, it's a great track to see the car. I'd love to go to it one day. I think that should be on our list, higher yeah, on our definitely. list of uh, back of the grid bucket list. Um the next one is uh, where has the Haas pace gone that they had a few races ago? Can they find a way back in Austria? Does anything about Austria suit the characteristics of the Haas car, do we think? I don't think anything suits the characteristics. Well, it's very different to the last two, isn't it? It, it is, is different. It is so different. If anything's going to, I guess this change might, but like Chris says, it is, you know, does anything. <laughs> Honestly, I, if I'm starting to feel like the issues they've got you're not going to fix on a in a week between two races. I think mm-hmm. this is the kind of things where you're looking at after summer break before they're really going to claw their way back. 
Do we know um, how many updates they've realistically brought over the last few weeks and last few races? Because it feels a little bit like everyone else has been updating, but they haven't. It's kind of how it it's looked a little bit in my head. Yeah. But... I don't remember hearing about any. No, there's, yeah, exactly. no, there's definitely nothing being sort of put out into the world to say that they've that they've got any that, that they've and, had any updates that I can see. I, I think maybe they might be planning a big old uh upgrade for Hungary or Belgium. Yeah, possibly. Usually Hungary they show up with a load of stuff. See, this is the thing, like, even if they don't announce it as a team to say, you know, we're bringing some updates to this race, you eagle-eyed pit reporters and stuff like that pick it up in, you know, a session. Like, you've always got people like your Ted Kravitzers of this world walking up and down the grid, uh, up and down the pit boxes, sorry, and pointing out, like, what's new on a front wing and what's new on an end panel and what's new on a rear wing. Like, he can see it a mile off. So mm. if they did do something and just tried to keep it under wraps, it wouldn't go unnoticed. And there's not even been any of that really, has there? So no. I just think that they're a bit slow on updates. Yeah. Which is not the way to uh, run a Formula One team. No, not at all. You just, as you can see, you just fall back. Um, the next storyline is, will Mercedes get to the end this year in <laughs> Austria? Um, last year, obviously, famously had a double retirement. Their only double retirement of the current generation. Yeah, I think, it was absolutely their lowest point of last season. Yeah, yeah, last few seasons. Probably the only double retirement since Barcelona when Hamilton and Rosberg yeah. took each other out. I was about to say. I think the key thing was it was the only double mechanical retirement, wasn't yeah. it? It wasn't yeah. like previously we've had incidents of them coming together like Rosberg and Hamilton like you say but I think this was one of the only times of the current generation of car where both cars have failed in some sort of way I think that was what was telling is that we thought we might have finally seen some cracks but then they just recovered like they do (laughs) yeah well this is it like Mercedes uh, if anything my my feeling is we'll probably see them come back even stronger here this year because historically when they have shown poor form at a race They've come back a season later and they've absolutely bossed it. Yeah. So if there are cracks, then they're very quick to concrete over those yeah. cracks and, and get themselves back into a position where they can be winning races. I yeah, think sure. this might be quite an important race to them as well with Nicky because obviously mm, it would have been a home race yeah. for Nicky. So I think there's going to be a lot of emotional drive in the team as well to get a really yeah, major result here just because of his involvement over the years in the team. I think that's going to be a, a key point for the Merck team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the final storyline <laughs> of uh, of uh, the preview for Austria is, can McLaren keep up the good form? Fingers it's crossed. It's a different track, isn't it? It is a different track, but they're also, you know, a week between races, these are going to be exactly the same cars that they've just finished racing in France. So mm. you would hope they would still be up there do you know um, what if they could still be in that contention that would make me a very happy man because yeah. that means that they've they've got to a point where they've got a decent all-round car and yes there's still work to do to catch the teams ahead of them but it means that they've taken that step maybe ahead of everybody else in the midfield that's uh you know oh we're good in the power circuits oh we're good in the slow speed corners oh we're good in the high speed corners and they'll have maybe started to move towards the we're just pretty good all round and like better than what's behind us and just need to find that difference to what's ahead of us now. And that's a really good place for them to be in as a team. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing to watch out for for McLaren this race is going to be breaks. Um, the weather yeah. is going to be very, very hot in Austria this weekend. And that McLaren, when it's breaks, 
get hot isn't um, very kind to its <laughs> rear suspension, <laughs> as no. we've discovered. So unless they've sort of found a solution for that, we could be seeing them struggle a little bit on brake temperatures. But it'll be the same for everyone. So True. Um, yeah, that's just one to keep an eye on for you there. Um, and yeah, shall we move on to some... Shall we firstly talk about predictions results and then we'll move, we'll make some predictions for Austria itself. Yeah, let's quickly rattle through predictions. Yeah. Uh so for the French Grand Prix, uh I put all my faith in Vettel, so I scored zero points. Uh Tom was smart enough to think Hamilton would win, so he got a point, and Stu went full ham, so he got <laughs> two points. Uh but nothing more than that for us. Uh a high scorer this week was Jeremy Simkin, who got four points. He was only wrong on the first DNF, which is damn impressive. Wow. Um, we actually had loads of people who got three points this week. Pretty much all of them went Hamilton for the win and pole and Grosjean for first DNS. <laughs> so they're obviously following the flow Absolutely chart. Absolutely savage. The flow chart works, everyone. The flow <laughs> chart so works. At his home race. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's like a double whammy on the flow chart for Grosjean, really, isn't mm. it? It's the home driver thing and the he says something he might be able to crash into. Probably <laughs> just pick him. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so our top three overall for the season, uh, Neil Hyde on 16 points, Katie O'Brien on 15 points, and Max Couton on 14 and a half points. So crazy close at the top still. Uh, as for mm-hmm. us, Stu, you're in 38th on nine points. Uh, yes. And Tom, you've now drawn level with me. We are both in 97th place on six points. So we're still Top only- 100. Yeah, top 100 with snapping at Stu's heels. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, between you, there's only three points between you and me. So Yeah, yeah, all very close. Um, but let's do our predictions for Austria. Uh, Stu, I'm going to make you go first. Uh, who is going to be fastest in Q3? Uh, Last year, it was Valtteri Bottas, who has always gone very well at this circuit. Yeah, he has, but I'm going to say Hamilton. Oh. <laughs> well, so much for that then. Uh, Tom, how about you? What are you saying? I think it's a hard I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk circuit form here and go Bottas. You're mad. You're absolutely mad. I'm gonna. I thought it was in my head last week though, and it got me zero points. I don't want to be right, but I'm gonna say Hamilton. I'm playing Hamilton. He's untouchable. He's absolutely untouchable at the moment. Uh, Tom, can I have your winner, please? Obviously, as we've already said last year, both McLaren, uh, both McLarens. I think both McLarens may have uh, retired, but both Mercedes retired. More importantly, which means Verstappen won the race. But how about this year? I think this will be a Lewis win because the interesting stat going into this race was the majority of races haven't been won from pole, even though they've been Merc one twos. Yeah. So I'm going for one of those kind of results, like a a resurgent Bottas in quali, but uh, even like more determined Lewis in the race. Yeah. Sadly, I think I agree with you. I think it's going to be another Hamilton clean sweep. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be Hamilton. I, I can't. I just can't see anyone else winning a Formula One race at the moment. So we've all said Hamilton. So get your money on Vettel for the win <laughs> this weekend. Um, first. DNF. Uh, last year it was Nico Hulkenberg. Um, this year, what does, what does the flow chart say for this track? Oof, the flow chart would say home driver first, but there isn't one. Um, there's a home team though in Red Bull. Red Bull. Yeah. Um, 
home stuff aside, I guess it would be. It's nothing. To... Well, there is stuff to crash into. Verstappen would be your closest to a home driver, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I'm almost tempted to go with him as well, you know. I'm going to do it. I'm going for Stappen for first DNF. Ooh. Wow. Okay. What's I used you? Ooh. Um, all that time to think about it, and I didn't even bother. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with. I'm going to put one from the air and say Magnuson. Magnuson. And Tom. Um. Oof. I think he's down in the dumps because of recent events. So I'm going to say. You already know what you're going to say. Go on, who do you think it is? Grosjean? It is indeed Grosjean, flowchart <laughs> in effect. <laughs> Did, could down in the dumps describe anyone other than Grosjean? <laughs> Probably not, to be honest. Uh, Stu, can I have your number of finishers? Last year it was 14 finishers. 14 finishers? 14, yes. Mm. Oh, um... Last race, however, we had 19, so... Yeah, yeah. But then there was no... Where for anyone to crash at the <laughs> Um I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go seventeen. Good old seventeen. Tom. I think I'm gonna have to go the same. It's it's gonna be around that ballpark, I think. Hate going first. See, <laughs> I've been saying seventeen most of the season and more often than not I've been underestimating. So I'm gonna go one more and say eighteen this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and we finally need a random driver. And this week it is going to be. I'm talking slowly to stall. Oh dear, it's oh, Max Verstappen. No, it's Max. Oh, well, <laughs> money mouth. <laughs> okay. Um, who am I going to make go? I'm going to make one of you go first to give me a little bit of thinking time. It's, Tom, it's you can go first. Um, I. Th- think that he will be able to give a fight to the Ferraris, so I'm going to go with third because I think that the two McLaren uh, the two Mercs are going to probably finish one two ahead of him, that's where I'm putting that I'm going to hedge my bets rather than go for the clean sweep and I'm also going to say third I'm going to say fifth fifth so you're saying behind the Ferraris I guess? Behind the Ferraris, yep Cool. So that'll do us for predictions. Uh, As always, if you want to enter, just go to backofthegrid.com where you can sign up if you haven't already and you can enter your predictions for free. There's a prize for the season champion and as always, there's a prize for anyone who can get five out of five, which we've already had one race this season. So it's absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. So never too late to get involved. Right then, shall we move on to the inbox? Um, Tom, do you want to take the first one? Uh, Yes, first this week we have one from Yanis Hahn saying, do you think Vettel and Leclerc can challenge the two Mercedes in Austria or is the advantage just too big even though it is a power track? Based on predictions. Based on predictions (laughs) we're saying no. It it is a power track but it's it's not big long straights where you're at the top end for a long amount of time. So yeah. And that's yeah. where the gain usually was for France. Yes. So, no, honestly, I don't have much faith in them really challenging this weekend. As much as I'd like to see it. Um, and, you know, they, they do, it's a power track. So, and they do have, a, there's, they've absolutely got a power advantage still. There's no doubt about that. They just don't have the downforce. Um, there are a few medium to high speed corners on this track again. I think it's Mercedes. I do think it's Mercedes stomping ground. I've, yeah. I've voted yeah. my heart in Preds, so and I'm going to I'm going to stick with it. My head, sorry. Um, yeah, so that's my thoughts. What about yours, Tom? What do you reckon? 
same. Like, I, I don't think you can look past them at the minute, both from driver performance and car performance. They've got the the double whammy, really. Cool, cool. Okay, we covered that one. Yep. Brooke Archer says, uh, I've been listening back to some 2018 Back of the Grid episodes. <laughs> oh, thanks, Brooke. Um, and there was a lot of talk of whether or not we've seen Vettel's last championship and if Charlie was going to rock the boat, in inverted commas, at Ferrari in 2019. Based on this year alone, who do you think will bring Ferrari's next championship? Or will it be someone from outside of Leclerc and Vettel? I think Leclerc. Leclerc is going to do it. I don't think it'd be Vettel. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Like, We'd already seen him start to keep his head cool as a number two driver and just keep pounding out the results even under a bit of pressure. So yeah, I think that it's it's his future to to run with, I guess. I, yeah, I still think, probably more than ever actually, that we've seen Vettel's last championship already. Yeah, I'm really glad you've asked that actually because we're not we've not really done much Leclerc this episode. And what I, one thing I do want to say about him is that he's done everything, absolutely everything that he needed to do this weekend yeah. to, to to sort of you know keep retain his status as a very very high level driver in that team. Um, he's beaten his teammate pretty comprehensively. And yeah, that's what we that's what we keep saying he needs to do. So yep. well done, yeah. Charles. Uh, and doing his damnedest to chase down the Mercs towards the end. Yeah. And, you know, ne- yeah. ultimately nearly getting Bottas as well. Yeah, one more lap. One more lap he yeah. would have Bottas. Yeah. Uh, next, Katie says, great to see McLaren getting the Renault working for them, but surely embarrassing again for the customer cars outperforming the works cars. It yeah. happens all the time for Renault, doesn't it? No matter who the main customer is, they tend to outperform them. Yeah, it's not. It's not great. Like Renault are making strides forward, but McLaren have absolutely uh, sort of jumped ahead in the development race, at least at this point yeah. in the season. It's budget. Yeah. It's all budget. Renault are all pumping all their money into the engine because they've got other teams to supply, and they're not putting the money into the research and the aero for the actual yeah. vehicle dynamics. And it shows that McLaren have, have got a bigger budget because they do have the greater power in terms of um, vehicle dynamics. And, you know, they're even, as we mentioned um, just before we started recording, they're they're setting up their own wind tunnel. They've been using Toyotas for yes. years and years. Yeah. And um, since Seedle's come in, I guess, I guess this is part of the Seedle effect. Quite possibly. Maybe. They've decided to build their own wind tunnel. I think the thing that's... Stands out with something like that, though, is McLaren are outperforming them. And I know, yes, they have a high budget because they're a big team with expensive road car sales, but they don't use their own wind tunnel. Renault have got one one of the most high-tech wind tunnels there is. So they should, in theory, be able to develop better aero parts if that is a factor. You'd think so. Well, That's just something was... food for thought, I guess. Yeah, well, speaking of the budget stuff, like obviously there's talk of the bringing in a budget cap, I think like 150 to $175 million is kind of a figure that's being knocked around at the moment. And Cyril Abitzball recently said if that was the cap they bought in, Renault would end up having to spend more money than they currently are to stay competitive. Like they're already spending below what that budget cap would be. So if that came in, they'd actually end up spending more, which is shows how little money Renault, well, obviously it's a lot of money, but in the scheme of F1, it shows how little they're putting in compared to other manufacturers. Yeah, but in flip side, it'd rain the bigger teams that are spending yeah, more true. than that back in. So 
I see his point that, you know, they're already spending under that, but mm. the big teams are probably spending way over that and it would bring them back in line and make them more catchable, I guess, with yeah, the budget I mean, that Renault do work with. That that There's a whole can of worms here that we could, yeah, that we yeah. could be... We've accidentally know, opened. Down. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to go down this road. This feels like <laughs> some great back material. On. Yeah, this is... Put some, the lid back on and I'll read the next Oh, God, they're escaping, they're escaping. <laughs> right, lids on. That's life, I've said. Can Hamilton match Schumacher and finish every race this season on the podium? I mean, evidence so far says so, but I don't know. I always feel like there's going to be, at, at some point, there's going to be a mechanical failure or an incident. There's going to be at least a retirement for him, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think it'd be very difficult. There's, I think, I'd say the thing to remember with that question is that back when Schumacher was running it, there used to be, there were, especially particularly in the season that he finished every every race on the podium, I think there were only like 16 to 18 races on the calendar. That There were, and it was in the era where they put a brand new engine in the car and a brand new gearbox in the car for the race. They're tyres that just lasted forever. Like, it was, it was a very, very different formula back then. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, doesn't like... Doesn't take away from it. Yeah, it doesn't make it any less of an achievement, but it's. I think it's a harder thing to achieve in modern F1. Yeah, what we're saying is if Hamilton did achieve it in modern F1, it'd be so much more yeah. of an achievement. Yeah, yeah. I'm repeating what you said. But yeah. <laughs> Glad we agree. Glad we agree. Uh, is it my turn? Oh, goodness. Look at the length of this one. Right. It's a good one. Oh, let me pick my... I need to pick up my laptop and put it <laughs> close to my face to read this. Um, Have you had your eyes tested recently? No, I haven't. Uh, Zach says... What would you think about a similar but altered penalty system? I think a scaled system would be better for treating infractions case by case, meaning different degrees of penalties, like two or three seconds for minor incidental penalties for grey areas like the Vettel case, where he has a chance of negating the penalty with his driving, and a five second and higher as the infractions get more blatant and dangerous. It could be more scaled, but this is my simple version. I actually think small penalties could increase excitement watching for example Vettel having to also race himself as well as Hamilton to keep a two second gap even better in the very 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 tight midfield battles yeah I I mean already it is kind of scaled to a degree they have four at the moment don't they it's five second time penalty ten second time penalty drive through and a stop and go yeah Yeah. I think that's the four they can award isn't it yeah. Generally speaking, that that's the foremost common, even if there is other equivalents. But that's generally what we see, isn't it? My my own personal feeling on the whole penalty thing is that we should be doing everything we can to avoid having to give penalties in the first place. Yeah, and like we said earlier, by you know designing inherent penalty into the tracks and into the circuits to to stop people breaking the rules, I think. The fact that, I mean, fair enough, if someone punts someone off the track, then absolutely there needs to be a penalty. You can't just yeah. go ending someone else's races or wrecking someone else's car and and get away <clears throat> get away from it scot-free. But a lot of the penalties that we're seeing, in, in especially in the last two races, are f- for things that are absolutely avoidable given the right design on the track. Yes, so, absolutely. Or the right stewarding of 
you know, just just by simple things like putting bollards in the right places, things like that, that the, the track can enforce its own penalties. So that needs that we need more of that and less of less human intervention, as I've already said. Yeah, for sure. I think that the last two races, I think, have shown us that a five second penalty can make a massive difference to a race result. So you could use that as an argument for having smaller penalties. But then again, surely the point of a penalty is to change the result, or at the very least to undo an advantage gained. Um, If you only gave someone a two-second penalty, what's to stop them cutting a corner, getting a two-second penalty, then just driving two seconds up the road? So it's it's definitely an interesting point, but I agree with you, Stu. We need to be looking more at how to avoid the need for them rather than how we we award them. Tom, anything? Uh, I agree. So... No point in adding anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question is from Paul Kelsall, who says, if Haas were to replace Grosjean, who would they get in? Would they risk for Tapaldi? Uh, has he got enough super license points? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe he does have enough super license points. <laughs> it depends just, which Fittipaldi gonna... as well, because there's two. There's Pietro and Enzo. I assume he means Enzo, because Enzo's in the Ferrari program at the minute. Yeah, as far as I can, I can't actually find it right now, but I'm almost certain he won't have enough yet. Yeah, he's only done Formula 4 and he's currently doing what is, it used to be European Formula 3, but it's not called that anymore because GP3 is now F3 and they call it something ridiculous like the Formula European Championship of Regionals or something. It's ridiculous, (laughs) whatever the name is, but it's what is basically F3, but European Mm. only. Um, I mean, whatever young driver they've got waiting in the wings, I think they're better off for themselves just waiting in the wings for this season because this car's yeah. not looking like yeah. the, uh, the the rocket that they need it to be. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think that Fittipaldi is probably going to need a season at least in the full F3 or even F2 if he steps up to yeah. F2 maybe next season. And I think they'd probably put him through that because... He's still, I don't know if he's even old enough yet. Is he about 16? Something like that. So he wouldn't even be old enough to get a, even if he That's had supervisors' point, yeah. points, I don't think he'd be able to race an F1 with the limits. So. Form, formula fetus. <laughs> I think if we'd asked this question last year with Hass's performance, I'd have said they're more likely to find a new driver from elsewhere on the grid. But currently, I don't know if there's many drivers who'd want to go and drive for them right yeah, now. Yeah, I think there's trouble yeah. there. Hmm. Next one. Um, next, we have Kevin Cosgrave, who says, I'm in Spain on holidays, and I was able to drag the family to the pub very reluctantly to watch the race by pouting and sulking. We'll still be here for the next race, so any ideas how I can drag them to the next one? The same tactics probably won't work. <laughs> um, especially after some of the race and its lack of excitement yeah. for the most part. I mean, yeah, I, feel, I actually feel sorry for... Your family. I genuinely feel sorry for your family. It's not a very good way of introducing Formula One. It's not really. Um, it certainly wasn't a great advert for Formula One this last race. How can you get them? How can you tempt them? Treats work. Treats. Yeah. Treats are an effective strategy. Lunch. Um, food. Yeah. Food always works, especially with Chris. Food. Look, Chris. Loves oh yeah, food. yeah. I've got if he's ever, if he's ever doubting whether or not he wants to go to a Formula One race, just mention that catering truck yeah. to him, yeah. and uh, he, uh, he, he's all about it. Um, <laughs> any more tips, Chris? Tom? Any tips from you? Uh, 
bingo, play bingo cards on like things Crofty's going to say that are blatantly obvious. Oh, That's always a fun yeah, game to play. Fun things. Uh, it helps if you've experienced lots of Formula One. <laughs> True. <laughs> so they're they're generally more seasoned ways of entertaining yeah, yourself, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, Speaking of which, in the catering truck this week, because I forgot about it, uh, when you're in <laughs> Austria, have yourself a nice bowl of Rhine soup, oh. which is... Uh, it's just, it's just, disgusting. it's a clear golden beefy soup. So it's a not offal in a bowl then. <laughs> I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that there's offal in it, but it, it's called rind <laughs> soup. So, oh, I love me a clear golden beefy soup. So there we go. Promise them a bowl of rind soup if they go to the pub. Do you have the sting for it? Um, no, I don't have the full ah. one because we're getting the shortened one, aren't we? So we'll do it really quick. Catering truck. <laughs> there we go. Um. The, is it me? The next one yeah. is Phil Mark says, is it worth pe- keeping the Paul Ricard circuit on the calendar? Um, I can't understand the layout of it with all the red and blue and different circuits, layouts and chicanes. Do you reckon F1 should go back to Manicore if they want a French GP? Uh, Manicore wasn't that much better, That's the problem, it? yeah. Manicore didn't produce great races either, I think. Do you know what I'd actually really like? Yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think the track's really built for modern F1 cars, but I would love to see them racing around there what, again. La Saf or yeah, the, the full, the full circuit. Nah, full circuit, full circuit. Yeah, why Bring not? Bring it on. Let's do it. You did only need to do about ten laps. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, do you know how long a lap is? I work that. I work that out for next time. If you work out how long a lap is, you can then work out because it's three hundred something kilometers. So you can work out roughly how many laps it'd be. I'm sure thirteen miles. I think. I'm sure with some kind of video game, I can estimate it. I'll work on that for next week. Yeah. Okay, we'll work it out. Uh, We always say this, but you won't. Oh well, promise. (laughs) I'll do as soon as we're done. Um, Alex Thompson. We've actually got two questions along a similar line here. Alex Thompson says uh, mentioned similar last week, but the pressure on Gasly is reaching breaking point. Surely. First time this weekend I've heard Horner say that Gasly needs to start delivering with Kvyat driving well at Toro Rosso could a mid-season summer break switch be on the cards. Uh, Kvyat could fulfil the number two role at Red Bull perfectly uh, without destabilising what's clearly Max's team. Uh, and also the Watoshi Wadelatraz posting experience, whatever that means. <laughs> My name um, is in Japanese. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, says Hamilton... Uh, being Schumacher-esque in his dominance is a nice story, but the most interesting is Gasly being the racing equivalent of oh. a younger sibling crashing into walls in Diddy Kong racing <laughs> compared to Verstappen. Uh, Kvitsa gets highlighted and loses to Ruffle constantly, but at least he's beaten him once. The gulf between Verstappen and Gasly is even larger. Um, so yeah, I guess the gist of all of that is, do we think we're likely to see Gasly getting ditched mid-season, as, as Red Bull have previously? It's difficult, isn't it? Like... <sighs> Who are they going to put I'd, in the car? I think if Who they did they anything, got? it'd be a switch. Like, But it'd have to be someone in the Toro Rosso at the minute. And the, I'd say the logical option of the two at the moment would be Kvyat. But, yeah, but do they really want then, to go down that path again? Like, thing, Is it worth the hassle? Even nah. even then, who are they going to put in the Toro Rosso after that? Dan Tickton? Gasly. No, we're talking about... We're talking oh, about you're talking about switching them yeah. around? Yeah, that's what the he's classic. saying. It, switchy, it, the switchy. second <sighs> comment is more about switching them because... What's the point? They can't be seen to just <laughs> dropping them. Well, no, there's no point in him doing that, I don't think. They've already done it once and then Kvyat just disappeared and now he's back. What is that the same trajectory like Gasly's? Yeah, I mean, at least you can understand last time that Verstappen was proving himself as being a very fast driver. And he obviously yeah. proved them right straight away by winning his first race yeah. with Red Bull. But even so, like... 
do you want to go around crushing more young drivers' careers because <laughs> the results aren't quite coming your way at any given moment? Like, as 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 disappointing as Gasly is right now, and he does absolutely need to turn things around. I don't think he's. We're at a point where he needs dropping from a team yet. No, I agree. No, I I, I don't think so. I, I genuinely think that it's more. It's just how good Max is. Like when yeah. Lewis gets on his game and starts beating Bottas, I'm kind of ruining another comment that's coming up, but we'll talk about it. Do you want me to read that one now instead? Yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, read, it, it. read it. Right. So this other comment came from uh, Julian Hajar. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But it says, what do you guys think about Bottas? Uh, a lot of people are doubting Bottas 2.0 that was making the mark on the season. But I think that Bottas 2.0 is still there. Um, and he's also, it's just an insane masterclass by Lewis Hamilton. Maybe it's not that Bottas isn't performing anymore. It's more that Lewis is just killing it. And I think that makes the point that I was about to make here, hmm. which is Lewis has got that like next level that when he knows he really, really needs to pull it out of the bag, he's got that extra gear that not everybody else has got. And it makes Bottas look a little ordinary, even though Bottas is still performing. And I think Max has maybe got the same thing over Gasly, that yeah. he is just that much better than him. And it's not that Gasly is bad. It's that Gasly is a good driver in a good car, but Max is a better driver in a good car. And I think that that's just whoever you put up against him is probably going to find themselves in a similar position to Gasly, much like anyone that went up against Lewis would probably find themselves in a similar position to Bottas. So Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, I jumped in that... on the order. No, no, it makes there, sense. But I think it was relevant. <laughs> yeah, no, with you. Um... If anything, I think Verstappen's maybe making that Red Bull look better than it actually is right now. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that, all of it. Every bit of it. Um, the last one, the, the last one we've got time for, anyway, because we have, like we promised, we have given you a dossier. Um, <laughs> How have we talked for this long? I about know this race? this race as well. It's a rubbish race. <laughs> um, Ryan says everyone is speaking of. <laughs> Ryan says everyone is saying it was the most boring race, but for me it was intense as a McLaren fan. What do you say to the people that keep repeating F1 is dead? F1 is dead. I tell them to look past the top five and find one of the best seasons we've had so far. Um, yeah, it's been really, really tight in that midfield, which has been super, super exciting to watch. Um, <clears throat> F1's not dead. There's no. no doubt about that. It's alive and kicking. I think it's going through a phase of issuing penalties when it doesn't necessarily... It's going through a phase of kicking itself in the face like it often does. Yeah, <laughs> And I think to the point where you look past the top five and it is a fantastic season, I think that is a point where F1 are not making enough of the product they've got because they could make so much more of that battle behind them. Yeah. Like we, we race after race, we watch the top few going round two or three seconds apart where there's all these battles going on in the background. And I'd like to see more of that. And I think that they could, they could do more of showing those battles to people and making it seem more exciting, I think. Yeah, I th there's, it's definitely there. That All that is definitely there. I think the, the, the difficulty they have is there's only so much you can show in a two-hour window of yeah, a race. Yeah, it's obviously tricky. Um, yeah. And there's, there's obviously storylines that they need to stick to. And there's the stakeholders that, you know, if you're enjoying a lot of success in Formula One, you deserve 
to have that exposure because it's what your sponsors are paying for. So for political reasons as well, you can't just be showing the cars that are not do, not performing as well as the as the ones that are winning because by making the best car and by charging all that money to their sponsors, the sponsors are expecting a certain yeah. amount of exposure. So yeah. there's all kinds of machinations. To it, it is. It's not just a simple case of let's show the most interesting battles. There's it goes much, much, much deeper than that. Oh no, that's that's totally true. I mean, I I would say to that there won't be any sponsors if everybody switches off because we're not watching anything exciting yeah. on screen, which is obviously an extreme version of that. But yeah. I, th- I think there's a balance there. And yeah. it's obviously a very difficult job, but I'd just like to see a bit more of what's going on in the middle I, sometimes. I think part of the thing to remember is that we're still quite early as well in the transition from the Bernie era to the Liberty era. Yeah, like They've not really got many seasons under the belt as just running it on their own yet. And there's things that they're trying that, work and there's things that they're trying that don't but at least they're visibly making an effort to make changes to try and improve things and make things better for the spectator so it's not like it's on its way down if anything it is on its way back up and they've just got to play around with things i guess and find what works for viewers yeah it's absolutely on its way up the if you think back to a few years ago before back when when um when bernie was in control that they had virtually no online presence. You'd get yeah. like a, a highlights video at the end of each race posted onto the website and that'd be about it. Whereas now they've got, I think five times more digital presence than they had in, in the Bernie era. And, you know, you wouldn't even get to watch the midfield battle unfold if they didn't have such a great team. No, of course you wouldn't get the, the, the perspective on it that, you get these days if it wasn't for all the digital output that they're creating. I mean, the it's nice just to have people in charge who understand what the internet is, as opposed to the old days where, unless you could sell someone a Rolex, they didn't really care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And that part of the problem is that a lot of these old deals that they've got from yeah. Bernie are still in force. So it's it's difficult for them to some some. There's some stuff that they really want to do and they can't do it because they've got sort of restrictions that are holding them in place from from doing certain things yeah. so legacy red tape that they're fighting their way through they're essentially but they, yeah, they're yeah. getting there but you know these contracts well, that were put in places for five or ten years and we've not seen that yet they can't just walk in and go well we own it now it's gone no it's, yeah it doesn't work like that so i think they're doing what they can and it's there's it definitely positivity there <laughs> Um, and on a quick note, before we move on to anything else, um, a Formula One race around Le Mans would be 23 laps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was close. What did I say? Wow. I said 20. I can't I remember what it is. Yeah. Wow, is that it? I might have said 10. Eight, you, you'd almost make it in 22 because 22 laps of uh, Le Sarth would be 299.772 kilometres. But a Formula One race has to be 305, Jeez. so you'd have to do an extra lap. And that'll take it to 313.398. I'm all for that. I think that'd be great. Sick. That'd be cool. Yeah. Let's petition it. <laughs> yes, yeah. let's. I mean, the French Grand Prix is the week after the Le Mans Grand Prix. Exactly, the, the, yeah. Mans, the, the 24 hours of oh, Le Mans, sorry. So... Imagine spending like 10 days out there. You could go for one weekend and watch Le Mans 24 hours, then just spend the week there, and then you can get straight into practice in an F1 weekend. That'd be an amazing week. Yeah. I'll have, a, holiday. I'll have a word with Chase. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Get Chase on the blower. Um, and I 
think on that note, that is all we've got time for this week. Um, thanks all so much for your messages. And thank you for all putting up with us for 100 whole episodes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's. Uh... Um, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't. I'd, when we started doing this, I didn't think we'd ever. I'd never even really envisioned a hundred episodes. No, it sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. and it is a cliche, but the show wouldn't still exist if it wasn't for the people that are listening and downloading totally. it and stuff. Yeah. So it does sound cliche, but it is a it's a hundred percent true. So thank yeah, you to yeah, all of you, whether you've been here one episode or all one hundred, it all counts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm getting a bit, getting a bit. Oh. Get all wrap up before yeah. we uh, yeah yeah get um, yeah so thanks so much for listening um we hope you enjoyed it and uh, we hope you'll join us for our review of the austrian grand prix in a week's time you can find us on twitter at back of the grid f1 you can find us on instagram at back of the grid and if you search back of the grid on facebook we will come up Um, so that's it from us this week goodbye bye everyone bye What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was I was trying to subtly make notes while you were in flow, but uh, you just watched what I was doing. Yeah, because <laughs> well, I, I saw a note that says "say yogurt." Oh, it says "soy it's yogurt." Soy yogurt. It's a shopping oh. list. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Do you shopping on someone else's tag, Chris? Come on. <laughs> no, I opened my notes app and the shopping list was there. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, unbelievable. Can't they be doing his shopping while we're trying to record a podcast? <laughs> I'm um, trying to subtly make some notes. You do your uh, nothing subtle about Chris Evans. Anyway, <laughs> so yogurt. Um, uh, what are we doing? Russell Cubits battle. Yeah. So in conclusion, so yogurt. I mean, in conclusion, um, we think what you think. Russell's not as fast. You think? You I have think no Cubits, idea what we're talking about anymore. Right, so you think Cubits is less fast than Norris, but not as less fast. Norris? I don't know about Norris. We have gone completely... I, mean, I have ruined everything here. Right. We've gone completely off let's the Let's go, let's go. Let's, let's do it. Cut. <laughs>